Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 10 through 17, Psalm 89, verses 1 through 18, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, and Matthew 10, verses 34 through 42. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it, and he'd say as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. If you are in your 50s, you probably recognize those lyrics by the immortal Cat Stevens from his song, Cats in the Cradle. It's a sad but beautiful song about wrong priorities. We all have priorities, and if you don't know what they are, simply pay attention to where you spend your time and your money. That will tell you. Priorities inherently cause conflict. Jesus and his disciples experienced that more and more as his ministry continued. Our gospel reading today from Matthew chapter 10 lays out for us what our priority should be and what we should do as a result. It also warns of the challenge that results, but reminds us that it will all be worth it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. These are shocking words, truly shocking. But we've heard them so many times that they have lost their force for us. But they are no less radical. For much of humanity, family bonds are the strongest bonds possible. Nothing should come between a person and his or her immediate family. In general, you probably all agree with this sentiment. Those relationships have been the top priority throughout history and in the past have often even been the key to survival. And it's true today that there are very few things that can reasonably claim to be on a par with family when it comes to our priorities. Communist countries like China today expect that they will be the top priority. So did Nazi Germany. But those are the exceptions that prove the rule. Pardon me a minute. Why does Jesus expect to have top priority in our lives? Why isn't it okay for he to be our second or third priority? The simple answer is that having anything or anyone in our lives that is a higher priority than our relationship with Jesus is idolatry. If your husband or wife, mom or dad, are more important to you than Jesus, he isn't your God, they are. Jesus must be number one. Not only that, but what else possibly deserves that role? What else is worthy of our total commitment? All people, no matter how much they love us, will let us down at some point. They are flawed, 
and on this earth only temporarily. Some people can have an idea as a top priority in their life. They can be very lofty ideas, such as all people are equal, or leave the planet better off than we found it for future generations, or bring joy to others. These are all perfectly fine ideas, but they don't deserve the top spot in our life. No idea by itself could. And even if an idea could be that important, how could one be sure they were dedicating their life to the right one? And will that idea stand the test of time? Jesus' statement about his priority includes a warning. Three times he repeats the phrase, is not worthy of me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found unworthy of Christ. Now I understand that we are all unworthy of Jesus, and it is by his grace alone that we can stand before him in eternity. But Jesus is giving a clear warning on the importance of having our priorities straight. And I would argue that we can say, Jesus is my top priority, and even mean it. But what matters is how well we live it. In other words, our actions reveal to what degree Jesus is our top priority. Thankfully, he doesn't expect perfection. It's a matter of growth and movement in the right direction more so than it is a one-and-done decision. Even though we can never be truly worthy of Christ, we should be moving in that direction. Having Jesus the top priority in our life leads to the primary calling of being an ambassador for Christ. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. We are sent to the world as his representatives. That doesn't mean we don't also have other callings that require our time and energy, but all those other things we do, we now do as ambassadors. We do them for the Lord. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord and not men. So Jesus clearly saw the role of his disciples and on down to us as being those sent on his behalf. Being sent by Jesus means we have his authority as long as we are fulfilling his ministry. We get ourselves into trouble, however, when we act in his name, but our actions are contrary to our calling. We need to be very careful about that because even though we are Christ's ambassadors, we can still go amiss. But hopefully when that happens, those in the church who love us will gently show us the right path. Being sent by Jesus is a high calling, and it means we have a responsibility to be our Lord's hands and feet. We do good through our actions, and we spread the gospel of Jesus. We aren't to be still. We aren't to be silent. We aren't to be neutral observers in the ministry of the church. We have chosen Christ's side, which means when it says in verses 34 and 35 applies as much to us as it does to him. It says, 
Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is another shocking statement by Jesus. And frankly, when most people think the God of the Old Testament was often harsh, while Jesus was as gentle as a lamb, this sounds more like the Old Testament. He came to bring conflict. And as I just stated, as his ambassadors, we too, therefore, bring conflict. Why is this so? Because Satan is waging war against God's plan of redemption. And that war is being fought on the battlefield of mankind's souls. The only reason Jesus sets a man against his father is because one of those is a follower of Christ, while the other is not. Differing priorities brings conflict. If one parent values the teamwork and physical fitness benefits of sports for their child, while the other parent values the mental and cultural benefits of playing an instrument, there will be conflict when there's limited time and money. If some family members place a higher value on vacationing on the beach, while others want to go camping, there will be conflict. The examples are endless. And these aren't even issues of ultimate importance. If one parent wants to take the kids to church every Sunday, while the other wants to take them fishing, now the stakes are high. Conflict is inevitable. But this fight for the kingdom isn't what we typically think of. It's a fight won through gentleness, service, humility, and love. And make no mistake, there's no difference between how Jesus fought and how we fight. Just because the enemy fights using deception and raw power doesn't mean that we can. Christ's ambassadors cannot utilize the tools of the world merely because they appear effective. We cannot seek effectiveness at the expense of faithfulness. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It can be hard to remember, but we aren't fighting against those people who say awful things about Christians and do acts of violence and depravity. They are just being used by the true enemy. The fight isn't against them, it's for them. And to win them over, we arm ourselves with love. It's bad enough when a couple can't agree on what activities their children do or where they will go on vacation, but it's worse when it comes to putting faith in Christ because there can be no compromise and we can't be neutral about this decision for others. We should want everyone to accept Christ because we know what will happen to them if they don't. As Christ's ambassadors, we want to conquer the world for him. Live and let live simply doesn't work for the kingdom because it's live or die. Many don't want to hear this, 
The gospel is even offensive to some. How dare God make Christ the only way? The nerve. Interestingly, you don't hear people complaining about the laws of physics, and yet, like Christ, they are what they are, whether you like them or not. And so conflict comes with us, even when we don't want it. We shouldn't seek conflict. We shouldn't want conflict. We definitely shouldn't revel in conflict. But Jesus saying that he brought a sword rather than peace tells us that while peace is good, it isn't the highest priority. There are some things worth fighting for. And acknowledging the lordship of Jesus is our highest priority. This is a difficult message. Being a faithful ambassador for Christ is a difficult way to live. But it's not without reward. In verses 40 through 42, Jesus gives us a glimpse of the reward that awaits faithful ambassadors and those who receive them. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet because he is a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. If one receives a prophet's reward for receiving a prophet, what does one get if they receive an ambassador for Christ? When it says to receive, I believe there are two parts to that. First, I take it in a sense of hospitality towards that person. Second, it means to receive the message of that person, whether it is a righteous man, a prophet, or an ambassador of Christ. I think it's safe to say that the reward from a righteous man or a prophet is surely good, but the reward from Christ is the ultimate. The final verse makes that clear. Giving a cup of cold water to a child results in a permanent reward. Obviously, this is descriptive of the acts of kindness that lead to an eternal reward. Even a cup of cold water means something as seemingly unimportant as this, and it relates back to the hospitality of receiving someone. Lastly, there is a message of humility here as well. Jesus didn't say giving a cup of cold water to a government official or a wealthy business person, but rather to a socially unimportant child. A child cannot repay the kindness. Showing kindness to someone of no real status or ability to repay the favor is an act of love and humility that doesn't go unnoticed in the kingdom. And by the way, notice Jesus said, and whoever gives to one of these little ones a cup of cold water. In other words, there are children present as Jesus is teaching. He himself is humble enough to speak to them and notice them. Jesus practices what he preaches. Notice the caveat, however. The reward is contingent on this discipleship status of the giver. It says, because he is a disciple. The acts of kindness of a disciple 
take on a whole new importance compared with those of non-disciples. The reason is easy to understand. A disciple's reward is eternal life with Jesus. The reward for someone who also does an act of humble kindness but isn't a Christ follower is still damnation. A kind atheist is still an atheist. What reward can there possibly be for someone who denies Christ? So the reward for being Christ's ambassadors is only available to his ambassadors, and it will never fade. Even though we have to give Jesus top priority in our lives, and like him, are bringers of conflict against the ways of the world, it's all worth it in the end. The reward we receive is greater than what a righteous man or a prophet could possibly give. When an ambassador's service is done, the reward is to go home. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day and said, I'd like to see you, if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. As Christ's ambassadors, we not only serve him before others, but we must share his priorities so that we can grow up to be just like him. If Christ is truly our Lord, then he is our top priority. This will inevitably cause conflict, even within our own families. But this is the only way to live, because Jesus can't be our second or third priority. He warns us that if we fail in this, we are not worthy of him. As Christ's ambassadors to the world, we are not neutral in this fight, but it's one we wage with love and humility. And Jesus promises us an eternal reward for our faithfulness that isn't available to others. Communion reminds us that like Jesus, we too are marked for death. We willingly accept a life of submission of our wills to that of our King, and we lay down our lives in the process. Knowing that our eternal reward awaits us, I urge you to take up your cross and be found worthy of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.